The real kind of crux of this was not how coaches use video analysis, it's how players use video analysis when they're out there on their own without the coach. You got your whole like 10,000 hours sort of, you know, approach. Like what, what would you see in your professional opinion? Yeah. Like how to make effective change that's sustainable for yeah. the average golfer down the range? Good humble brag as well in there, Dan. Um, yeah, thank you. I was um, going to dig in, but you did it. I was going to... Yeah, I think it's an important message that the, often if you're hitting the ball amazing in practice, you're not getting better. Hello and welcome to the Golf Science Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Thompson, your golf science educator. Now in this podcast, we'll be exploring the latest research in golf science, talking to sports science researchers from around the world in the areas of nutrition, psychology, biomechanics and strength and conditioning, as well as other sports science disciplines. We'll be taking a deep dive into their research, finding out what they did and how the findings are useful for coaching professionals, playing professionals and amateur golfers. So before we get stuck in today, I firstly want to introduce my co-host, Lewis Downey, a PGA pro from Hertfordshire and the owner of Lewis Downey Golf and Travel. So today um, we're going to be talking obviously about the effect of video analysis in practice yeah. and effectively whether or not this is a good idea. So kind of broad themes there. Mm -hmm. um, so from your perspective, being a PGA pro, yeah. like how do you use video analysis in your own coaching? Um, and how do you see people using that on the driving range, for example? Um, so firstly, in, in my experience as a coach using video analysis, I obviously use it mainly to, I mean, obviously when I'm coaching, I can see what's going on and stuff like that, but it is great to slow down a swing to see the sort of smaller intricacies and, and be able to show that to a client in that specific way. If I showed them a full speed video, um, we're just not gonna we're not gonna see it, and mm. I feel like on regards in regards to like a client or, or a golfer on the range, frankly, not enough people do it. I feel because obviously when you're on the range, we go and work on certain feelings and we go and apply certain drills and stuff like that. And I feel like for for a golfer in the range to be able to see change, they need to see quite literally they've made a change because sometimes there's that element of, well, not sometimes, always, there's that feel versus real. And um, yeah, yeah. we need to know if we've, you know, had any change happen. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I, I remember because I've tried to change my swing in the past before and it has been useful to try and get to some positions I know my coach was trying to get me into. Um, so, yeah, I have used it myself in the past. Um, but no, that's great. Great to hear. Um, so now... The next thing to say really, I guess, is now each episode of this podcast, we're also going to invite an amateur golfer to join us. Um, so today we're going to be also joined by Scott Handley. Um, he is a mid-handicap uh, golfer and a member of Harpenden Golf Club. So Scott, great to have you on today. Thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. No, thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Lewis, as well. So just to get a little bit of understanding from you, um, tell me a little bit about your golf a little bit about do you actually use video analysis yourself and then how do you know Lewis too? Yeah, so a bit about my golf. I'm, I'm a 13 handicapper. Um, 
had a few injuries to some hands, um, to both my hands over the years. So kind of, uh, kind of picking up again the last five years. And as I've moved into the area, um, Lewis has become my, my golf coach. Um, and I've been having regular lessons with him over the past, say, two to three years. Um, and on his advice and what I think has benefited my game is I, I use video um, analysis quite a lot of the range. I've I've invested in quite a few tripods. Um, <laughs> um, they do tend to break, so yeah, I've, I, I use it quite a lot, um, and uh, I've seen the difference uh, it's made to my game. So, you know, in, in regards to that, I, I do use it. Oh, brilliant! And you can probably tell me afterwards uh, when we're off air uh, what Louis is actually what Lewis is actually like as a pro. So we can save that for later. You can give me your understanding. Oh uh, yeah, that's probably <laughs> probably needs a, lot, a little longer than this podcast. So yeah. <laughs> Gotcha. Brilliant. Great stuff. Um, so this then leads on to kind of this next part then really is it's time to introduce the final guest. Uh, so today uh, on episode one of the Golf Science Podcast, we're going to be talking to Dr. Oliver Runswick, a lecturer and assistant professor uh, in sports uh, performance psychology uh, at King's College London. So without further ado, let's bring him on. Hi, Oliver. How are you doing? Hey, everyone. Good to see you. Thanks for having me on. No, thank you for having. Thank you for actually joining us today. It's been great to kind of have a chat to you previously, just before this conversation. So I'm looking forward to learning more about the paper today. Cool. So to fill the listeners in a little bit about your background, really. Um, so Ollie has worked uh, with professional golf coaches uh, and has also been involved in ping golf with research. Um, Ollie's also published over 40 publications in the areas of motor learning and psychology and one of those papers is what we're going to talk about today. Um, does that kind of adequately sum up some of your kind of past experiences there? Yeah sounds good I think um, my main kind of interest and expertise is in how to optimize training for all different types of people golf being one of them all different sports I work a little bit with aerospace and the military dance uh, learning to move is is the key and I'm interested in how people do that and golf's a really interesting place to study that. Oh wicked great stuff so we've obviously talked to you before today about what we're going to talk about so today we're going to be talking about the paper that you published um, around the effects of smartphone video analysis on focus of attention and performance in practice and competition now <laughs> when I read through that and I look at the words focus of attention I'm a little bit lost as to kind of what this is really about to be honest with you yeah. um, so could you just try and reframe the title to make it a bit more uh, user friendly let's put it that way Cool. Yeah, I think we've probably got the idea about the smartphone video analysis. You've you've both just uh, you've all just kind of mentioned the fact that you might film your swing and use it to analyse your positions, for example. Uh, the focus of attention bit is kind of um, it might be more complicated than it sounds. What you're focusing your attention on when you're hitting a ball. Um, so it might be a swing thought. You know, trying to get your body in a certain position. It might be that you're focusing on a certain ball flight. Um, generally, in the in the literature it's differentiated between something internal so something that's part of your body which might be that kind of you know uh, front arm position hand position in the back swing something like that which is part of your body um, and external focuses which can be of different distances away so it might be um, the feeling of compression when you're striking down on the mm. ball or it might be something as simple as the target in the distance which would be a much further away but whatever you're focusing your attention on, so you do a ball flight would be an external focus, the position of a body part, for example, would be an internal focus, but they can be different distances away. So you might, for example, focus on the position of your club face during your backswing, which would be mm -hmm. a, a, 
what we'd call a proximal or a near to you external focus it's not part of your body um, or we might focus further away or on actually something that is part of our body as well so as golfers I'm sure you can all think of things that you might focus your attention on when you're playing different types of shots um, around the course brilliant okay yeah that makes sense that makes total sense so what was so the research paper that we're focusing on today then what's kind of the the, the point of the research or kind of what what was the kind of key aims and what were you trying to do yeah there's, there's loads of um literature on focus of attention uh, a, a really kind of large evidence base that generally suggests that it's more efficient to learn skills using external focus so not focusing on body parts or technique but focusing on the outcome of the skill effectively um, there's a variety of theories that explain that generally i'm sure all of you would agree that we do our best moving up we play our best when we are um, not too engrossed in our own technique for example um, one explanation is called the constrained action hypothesis where moving happens at its best when it's not consciously controlled um, when we're doing things automatically that's often our final aim of training things um, which can be why changing something might be difficult because it makes you more conscious of it um, but we're trying to get people to, to hit a ball or, or do their skill um, without it being too much uh, controlled by conscious thought uh, and so does that does that link with kind of that mm -hmm. that idea around kind of flow state in some way is that, uh, that yeah kind of flow state's a little bit broader in terms of the whole psychological state around performance here we're just saying mm -hmm. right if I ask you to sign your signature you will do it without thinking about where the pen's going mm. And if I ask you to think about signing your signature, it'll look completely different, be a lot slower and a lot less efficient. Um, okay, with you. A classic you. example, of, I know you've, you've worked in education, is watching people walk onto stage during a graduation where suddenly everyone's very conscious of what their gait pattern looks like, um, which mm. obviously isn't a super efficient way of doing it. Um, so the, the focus of this paper was then to think about how the fact that we... Uh, I came up with the idea, actually, when I was at a driving range which had tripods for your smartphone mm. so you could film your own swing and the idea here was like well what effect is that having on, on people's focus of attention when they're playing but it also builds on the the kind of other evidence lots of the literature in this area is in a lab with very simple tasks often with putting but things like dart throwing ball throwing uh, with complete beginners saying right well if I give this complete beginner tell them to focus on the way the ball rolls in the putt versus telling them to focus on their grip who learns most efficiently and the general evidence so base very very simple activities with focus yeah. on that I guess yeah with beginners right. yeah and generally the overwhelming evidence is that it's much more efficient to focus externally when you're learning a skill for the first time um, but there's not a lot of literature or um, there wasn't at the time which looked at people who are already skilled at a task already experienced at a task and what they're doing in their in their natural practice so rather than forcing someone in a lab to think about something when they're practicing, what are people actually doing? Um, and then what focus, what what effect might the video analysis have on that? Okay, brilliant. Yeah, so thinking about what they're focusing on, the impact of making it in more of a real-world golf setting, yeah. and then thinking about, well, actually, people, like, like we've obviously chatted to, to Scott and uh, Lewis yeah. about, about the fact that people actually use video smart um, recording, smartphone recording, yeah. and what influence does that have upon upon their attention, their focus of attention? Exactly, yeah. Brilliant. That makes sense to me. 
Um, just sorry, just to be clear, because obviously we've got Lewis here as well. The real kind of crux of this was not how coaches use video analysis. It's how players use video analysis when they're out there on their own without the coach. Um, so there's a lot of evidence around the use of video analysis for a coach, but not necessarily where we're at a point now where people are videoing themselves all the time without a coach. I think just to make that differentiation, because I know that Lewis will mention he uses it all the time, which isn't necessarily uh, a bad thing, but some of the, uh, but it might not be particularly useful if everyone's doing it on their own without the advice of an expert, for example. I um I totally agree with you there. Um I, I mean Scott's on a platform called Coach Now that we use. Um, I'm I regularly in a lesson take people to the phone and quite literally draw lines and dictate and they can see all that going on. So Scott's seen it enough to develop a skill set um, to know where to draw lines and where to put markers on the screen. And he knows to use a tripod because otherwise the camera's going to move everywhere and we won't be able to keep those lines in the same place and et cetera, et cetera. He knows how to compare old versus new and, or, or, or a video he might have seen on Instagram he crops in and versus himself or, or whatever it might be. So yeah, I totally agree with you. If, if, if my client or whoever the golfer is hasn't got a skill set to, to use that sort of uh, system, it's not going to be very useful for them. Yeah, and I guess I guess the point you're making here too is it's not about what the coach is using. It's also about part of the role, I guess, as a coach is to try and inform the golfer what is the best way that they could practice after leaving them um, to try and implement the changes they want. And I guess that kind of gives you the context for what the research is focusing on here is whether yeah. or not we should be using that video in that point. Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. So talk to me a little bit now about kind of how did you actually go about investigating this? It's all well and good us understanding, obviously, around focus of attention, around use, utilization of cameras, but how did you actually do the research? What's kind of the key kind of procedures that you went through to perform the research? Cool, yeah, golf's a, a nice avenue for this kind of thing because of the driving range, which uh, in itself is a bizarre way of practicing. Um, <laughs> golf, golf practice happens uh, all the time without coaches, it's more like kind of going to the dentist and then you brush your teeth on your own for six months and then you might go back for a lot of people. Well, yeah, uh, totally. It was it was crazy yeah. for me. I, I come from a basketball background, basically. Yeah. I used to play basketball all my life. And every time you go to a training session, you had a coach there and he taught yeah. you and, and kept an eye on what you were doing. So it was very odd moving into the golf world where then I had a coach that I saw and then went away for three weeks practicing in a range. I, yeah, I guess so you said. Yeah, so, and, and the driving range is quite, you know, if you had a footballer just kicking the ball down the field on their own, it'd be seen as pretty weird. But in golf, it's so hard for us to get out on the course that we have to find a way to practice. And the driving range is a great place uh, to do that if you use it in the right way, but also it gives us this opportunity where we're going to have people practicing on their own all the time who are potentially quite used to filming their swing. Um, so what we decided to do to answer this question about how the video analysis affects that focus of attention we've already measured and then also in turn how that affects performance in a kind of short term over the last few months type approach. Um, we basically got two sets of golfers who didn't use video already um, because we needed to be able to control whether they had that skill set or not that Lewis mentioned because otherwise that would be a variable that would completely change the data and our study wouldn't be particularly useful. So we've either got to use people who already have a really good skill set or people who don't use it at all. And the people who don't use it at all are easier to find and also it's easier to measure their level of skill in it, which is currently novice in a nutshell. And these players were um, 
pretty good players, like average of five of a five handicap, um, but the range kind of up to about ten. Um, so good players. Um, ten in one group, nine in the other, until we ran out of ability to recruit. So I did this study with uh, Beth Yeoman, who's now a, a, a qualified psychologist, and this was her master's research. And Phil Birch, who's also a performance psychologist and a scratch golfer. Um, this is when I was based down in Chichester, and we worked quite a lot at Goodwood Golf Club. Um, so a nice little partnership there. So we got the two groups, and we basically said, right, we're going to test how good you are now. So we took their competition scores um, for a period of time beforehand, got them to do a test on the range, which is more controlled. There's so many variables in golf performance that uh, a Stableford score that we're taking is, is full of noise. So then we get them on the range, got them to hit a 116-yard shot, I think it was, because that's how far away that first green on the range we were using was. Effectively, that was the decision-making process. Um, did a pre-test about how accurate they were at that kind of shot, and then sent them off on their own for um, a month, um, where they hit two range sessions a week, 50 balls a go, which because we thought that was a realistic, real-world kind of what an amateur golfer is going to do, which is one of the aims mm -hmm. of this study, was to kind of try and capture what's actually going to happen. Um, and half the players used video analysis, half of them didn't. They were asked to video their swing every 10 shots, um, and then they kept a diary of the kind of things they would work on during practice, both groups did. Mm -hmm. um, so that was our focus of attention measure. So making a note of what you're doing during practice, is that being affected by uh, the people using video or not? And then they came back after their four weeks. They did a post-test on the range uh, of the same targets. And then we also kept track of their competition scores again afterwards. Perfect. Okay, so I'm going to try and summarize that into a little yeah. soundbite. We'll <laughs> see. So effectively, two groups of golfers yeah. got them into... Um, they saw their pre kind of uh, study competition scores, got them to either go into the range and either film themselves or not, mm -hmm. took performance measures on driving range accuracy, and then looked at the impact that had on competition post. Correct. And yeah. is that is that really it? Yeah, and then measuring and, oh, what the, they're focusing on during training is the important thing. That's it. Yeah, what are they focusing on? And am I right in saying so you did two elements of that? One was a diary, and one was was some little scales which have been previously validated in a putting study perfect cool that all makes sense to me any questions from you fellas for you um i just wondered obviously you said about video in the swing every 10 shots was that yeah. like tactfully picked or was that just kind of round number or um we basically wanted to ensure they were doing it enough um had a chat and we actually did a pilot with a um eight handicapper who did the whole study whose data wasn't included, where we talked about um, what was like feasible or useful, um, mm -hmm. what the player liked doing, and they, he, he basically said, you know, this is a decent amount, otherwise any more seemed too much, and any less didn't seem enough. Um, so it was uh, it was as simple as that, really. Um, we had a conversation with a few pros and stuff, and it seemed reasonable, but there wasn't really any kind of data to go on on how often we needed to do it. Yeah, yeah. I suppose if you did it, go on, mate, go on. I was going to say, with these golfers having lessons in between in that four-week period? No. Okay. So solely based off their own practice yeah. and their own swing thoughts, their own changes? Yeah. Okay. And their diary they kept was just noting down swing thoughts and kind of their their description of their progression? Yeah, so they had like a, we had like a, an electronic form that they would just fill in and, and basically make a note of what they're working on when they're in 
training and we did like a thematic analysis of that um, in a nutshell so they're kind of videoing their swing hitting some shots then after each session which also making sure that they actually practice by but that's a kind of like manipulation check you know have they been to the session have they filled out their diary um, yeah, yeah, yeah. and they had some questions basically saying um, what were you thinking about while you're practicing today and they were just open-ended questions and they made a, a note after every session um, on the things that they were thinking about during practice and, that, and that's where you could start to understand then I guess from what they say yeah are they thinking about I need to get my elbow in this position or yeah. are they thinking about the outcome ball flight for example and then differentiating exactly internal versus external focus of attention okay makes yeah. sense keep, keep them accountable as well right yeah keeping them accountable for doing the intervention as well absolutely and, it's really and important. also really good reflection i mean to be fair i don't think many people that go to the range probably sit down afterwards and go right what did i do today i mean they might do it after a round of golf in fact i do get some people to do it um but yeah. yeah it's okay. easy to practice completely mindlessly um and mm. just yeah. shell balls which for some people is why they go to the range it's super, might be relaxing or something like that but if you're actually wanting to get better at golf then not necessarily a great idea yeah no i constantly are yeah. i'm pummeling that into people's brains um yeah. um scott can probably vouch for that um <laughs> practice needs to be meaningful um yeah you're not a machine gun you you need to you know make the balls last i actually say to a lot of people you need to earn the right to hit a golf ball so like you know go through your drills go through your slow practice swing slowly speed it up and then think Do you know what i've earned the right to let's test out two golf balls now at like a an achievable speed is how i put it i think the amount of people that probably hit about 50 too many balls at a range session is is probably 99 percent of people I mean, I'd say since I've been having lessons with Lewis, I'd probably hit, I probably never get a basket of 100 often. Um, and if, if I do, I'd, I probably don't hit them all either. Um, I think if you practice sessions, you're working on things. I don't think you need 100 balls to spend 45 minutes at there, just like I said, like a machine gun. Yeah, exactly. That's why we've got two sessions of 50 balls separately each week in this intervention because it seemed a good way to engage with practice but also feasible for a, a single figure golfer to actually do at the same time we did this in the summer yeah. as well so people were playing um, and they kept a, a record of how often they were playing as well well who knew that we were also providing financial advice on how to save money at driving range <laughs> there you go let's not tell the driving range yeah, yeah. I used to Sorry, I was just going to say I used to work with some okay. coaches at um, British Shooting and they had a phrase, every clay costs money, make it worth it. You know, exactly the same <laughs> idea. Yeah. yeah, brilliant. So yeah. that leads us then obviously on to what you found really. So we understand kind of what the context is around what we actually, what you did in the research, but what did you actually find from the use of it? Cool. Um, so importantly, first of all, the groups are about the same ability at the beginning. Um which uh, is important if you're already better than someone else you get better slower so groups are matched at the beginning that's the first really important thing to see look at and if you're looking at any kind of research which has an intervention the groups need to be the same at the start um, to see if their your intervention has effect so are people who used who use Sorry, the cameras just pause yeah. you there a second mm -hmm. so you're saying that so both of the so they split the, the groups into two groups yeah and you're saying that their performance was no different at the start Yes. Okay, cool. Yeah, with you. Carry on. Cool. Um, so then, 
they've done their pre-competition, their pre-test competitions, Stableford scores, and then their on-the-range uh, accuracy score. Same for both groups at the beginning. No difference between them at the start, which is important because we want to see if there's a difference at the end. Um, so then they've done their practice, filled out their diaries. The people who are practicing with video are reporting around 50% of the statements in their diary to be an internal focus against 20% internal focus from the group who are practicing without a video. And then the people with the video are also giving the other 50% around 20% proximal external, so that might be club face or ball strike, and 30% distal external. Uh, the key for that, the summary, is the people with the video are focusing more internally than the people without during practice. Um, then in terms of performance, the people who were using the videos uh, on range accuracy scores went down, whereas the people so practicing... Say that again, repeat that again for me. The people trying, who, to, trying to absorb all this right? like a spongy sea. Yeah. Yeah, I'm no trying worries. to really get, my, get so my head to it. The people who were using the video in their driving range practice test got worse. So mm-hmm. they're less accurate at the 116 yard shot after practicing with video for a month. The people who practice without the video got better at the driving range accuracy scores and then when we look at their um, extrapolated composition scores there was no change uh, in their Stableford scores for the next um, couple months afterwards. So video resulted in a more internal focus in the diaries. There was no um, differences in those little one-liner questions which I think you'll ask me about in a minute Um, Mm. but then the accuracy scores went down for the people using video and up for the people who weren't but there's no difference in their on-course play. Okay. Go on, Lou. You had a question there. Um, on-course mm. play, was it just tracked by uh, purely score or was there stats like fairways, greens and rake, etc., etc.? Um, just score. We did toy with this, but we found it very difficult to get people to engage with delivering that without having to give everyone a shot scope with tracker, for example, which we didn't have budget okay. for in a nutshell sure, um, sure. so ideally I would have loved to have said well we'll just look at your play from 116 yards on the golf course mm. for example um, yeah. but again it was hard to one of the difficulties with all this literature is hard to capture what's changing in performance unless you're working with a club who have a great performance analyst for example um, yeah. so uh, yeah so just Stableford scores um, and as you'd imagine there's lots of variables involved with that yeah, totally. And and also, like, how were they using the video technology? Like, did yeah. they have a like an app like I used? Was it just slow-mo on their phone? Like, how were they doing that? Literally however they wanted. So, again, it was, like, about saying, what are these people going to do on their own without a coach? Because we know people are starting to use a lot of video analysis. Um, so generally they would just film it on a camera and watch their swings and to be honest often pick about five or six different things in those 50 balls that they've noticed that they want to work on um, which is one of the reasons we're looking, we were looking into this because obviously that's absolutely not what you would do um, as a coach yeah yeah and I also find when I come across a lot of clients that I work with um, a lot are lost in aesthetically pleasing changes as opposed to functional and don't get me wrong when the swing is in the right places it can look more aesthetically pleasing but it's if you if you you dip in and pick out 10 players on 
you know, yeah. on tour, we all know that the swings are going to be different, either very different or subtly different. Yeah, I'm, I'm really surprised by that, though, uh, Lewis, because I, I would have thought you'd be to- teaching that club twirl at the end, like that would be the thing you'd be trying <laughs> to get get sorted with your players. No, no, uh, no, not not quite, not quite. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great stuff! Yeah, so that, that's that's great to great to hear. But then, as you, exactly as you're pointing out, I guess is you saw the benefit that it had on one sixteen yards accuracy, but that didn't transfer into competition. Yeah. So, well, it's making you worse at the range test videoing yourself. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. But we didn't see that here. transfer into competition. Um, but I think. I mean, most of these studies in this area don't even have a competition-based test. Just golf allows you to do that, where you can just say, can you just send me your scores off of IG or whatever you're using afterwards? Um, But there's so much variability in noise. You might have just been putting really badly for a few days and hitting the ball great. So it's really hard to kind of dig into that. But we just wanted to collect it just to... Because no one ever bothers trying to do that. And if someone was really getting a lot better, we might capture a kind of one or two point you know shift but it, there's a lot of a lot of noise uh, involved with that and also we're only looking over a couple months here and actually if you're changing your technique you're going to get significantly worse before you get better anyway um, so there is yeah. a whole lot more the reason that these podcasts are going to be useful there's a whole lot more nuance than if you just went well the people used video got worse yeah like the headline kind of <laughs> viewpoint yeah. rather than the actual minutiae you've just made his tagline for the, the <laughs> <coming> out. <laughs> dr oliver runswick says this podcast would be <laughs> yeah um well, okay. no no I, t- I totally i i get the value and i and i get the point that we've kind of made here around the competition about that being such a multifaceted aspect because if they're only really practicing and they have been practicing on those one 16 yard shots golf has chipping has putting has driving like all of these elements that are involved as well as a competitive element i guess too there's so many variables that could influence the competition side of things so actually like you said before having a bit of a an actual measure um more more detailed measure of the competition you might be able to eke out what beneficial effects there were in certain aspects i guess yeah and i think it's something that's important important to remember as you go through this kind of series as well if you get a nutritionist come on and say oh, i made everyone 10 shots better at golf there's absolutely no way anyone's ever going to actually know that they've done that same yes, for it yeah. same for anything there, i remember a pair of shoes came out a while back like ages ago which said it made you hit the ball 15 yards further and then in little subtext it said Padraig Harrington also worked extensively on his swing and physical fitness and it's like <laughs> yeah. you know making sure you take note of the fact that it's almost impossible to show what exactly is making people better mm. unless you get that really fine grained I'm going to specifically focus on training this one specific thing measure that during competition and that has improved but it's very hard to do that outside of the, the kind of field of getting shot by shot analysis or day-by-day testing and doing single case designs which could be a useful thing you might get some people who get take one golfer take a long baseline change one thing and then see what what changes but there's a lot of nuance and noise in there the key focus here was that understanding that the one thing i'm pretty sure about is that if you video your swing on your own you're going to get a more internal focus of attention and to be honest if you video your swing at all you are because you can't generally see where the ball goes anyway and golf is about where the ball goes not what your swing looks like and your swing will 
obviously affect where the ball goes. But a lot of people, a lot of coaches, and I don't know if this is Lewis's approach, will work backwards from the ball flight towards what needs to change in the swing rather than the other way around. But videoing your swing, you basically can never see where the ball goes. And if you watch any YouTube golf, you'll know that if you hold the pose, every shot is really good. Um, so. But you just hit a shank, basically, yeah. Yeah, you know, the key is, like, understanding what might happen if you use video. It doesn't say do or don't use it, but, you know, if if Lewis is giving Scott, saying, can you video yourself on the range, make sure there's some stuff to look for. Make sure there's some useful single points and you're not digging out five or six different things all the time. Um, but the performance element is one thing, but actually just knowing that you're going to affect what your clients are focusing on or what you're focusing on in your swing, and often it's focusing on too much internal stuff might not be useful, is uh, the overall message, I would say. I suppose if you're over a four-week period, if you're only externally focused on landing a 116-yard shot as accurate as you can, there's plenty of ways of doing that as well, rather than changing your swing you can hit a knockdown nine. You could yeah. you could hit a high. You could hit a short cut with a pitch. You could hit, you could get that accuracy a lot of different ways. Yeah. Rather than just focus on you know bringing your elbow in over a four week period in your swing, yeah. it's not really gonna lead to more accuracy. If anything, it probably it's gonna lead to to anything worse. Like I said, swing changes take a while to bed in. Um, yeah. but if you're externally focused, you, you're very single minded, and you'll do anything to get it to that accuracy you want yeah and I think there's one one like some people would sit here and tell you there's no such thing as good technique apart from where your club faces at impact so filming your whole swing is not potentially something that people would think is not useful at all if you're taking your focus away from what actually matters in, in where the ball goes um, golf is really focused on technical elements because it's such a complex movement compared to some other sports as well um, but you'd never see a highly skilled footballer spending loads and loads of time on how to swing their leg back before they kick the ball. You'd see them focusing on getting different ball flights when they take a free kick. I suppose it's when you're at a mm. decent level. Yeah. It's all about marginal gains once you get to a specific point. Yeah. Now, I, you know, I'm a mid-handicapper, and I, I know there's certain things that I really don't do well yeah. um, and that I, I, I need a lot of help to work on. and. I can't. I think that I'm doing them in my swing, but when I look at them on yeah. the video, I know that they're clearly not doing them. Yeah. And I could spend an hour at a range thinking I'm doing them, but I, I really am not. Yeah, um, and it's it's perfectly conceivable that lots of good players are exceptionally good at switching their focus. So they might yeah. be really engaged with practice on like people can get have a really amazing awareness of where their body is once they get good at something but then completely ignore that and focus on scoring the lowest possible round when they get out on the golf course. This is one of the reasons like we did this study as a first step towards trying to measure some of these things in a more realistic fashion because it's perfectly conceivable that none of those people who used video on the driving range made any internal thoughts when they were actually hitting the ball on the golf course. Yeah, very good point. Very good point because we often talk about that, don't we, really, from a golfer's perspective. You don't want to be going out trying to make swing changes on the course. You want to be going out thinking about the shot you want to play. Is that kind of yeah. how you look at it as well, Lewis? Yeah, I think it's, it can be difficult for us as a coach to help those players achieve a swing thought that would allow them to naturally play um, in a more fluid state and, and not be so deliberate when they're out on the course. I mean, for example, with Scott, like he's working on, you know, how he's shallowing the club and moving down into impact. Like, if he did 
what he was trying to do in the range on the course, he just he would have a nightmare. I, I mean, one thing I've I've tried to make a lot more effort into now is is um, like game like training. There's actually a there's a there's a book a golf book about basically just you know obviously you have your techie element where you've got you know you're trying to be really specific with movements and feelings, but then you go and you put that under pressure or, or you know you train in something um, via a game or an objective. Um, I think that can be really, really useful for, for any level, um, yeah. but that that can then hopefully simulate that on-course mindset, that on-course pressure. Yeah. You know, it's not always about just standing there doing rep after rep. Sometimes we need to put ourselves under a bit of pressure and, and, and see if see if it holds up. That, yeah. that would be my opinion. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think Pete Arnott wrote a book about that, Some, someone... Uh pro from scotland uh, representative training design is what you would call it in the literature and it's an exceptionally popular approach um, generally we would talk about you have three different kinds of training you're training to change or improve or, or improve something you're training to transfer that or you're preparing for a competition and like in golf in the season most of the time you're just preparing maybe doing a little bit of maintenance but you're not actually trying to get better really and if you are doing yeah. that during competition time, that's really hard. So in the winter, you would practice completely differently than in the summer or the spring. Um, so one thing I do, for example, is often I, I don't have time to practice, but I might be playing at the weekend. So I might do a, go to the range and do a bit of prep where I'll open up a uh, GPS app and play 18 holes, which is, okay. you know, hopefully about a 50 ball bucket. And I'll say, <laughs> I'll I'll say that flag is the right side of the the fairway. That flag's the left side of the fairway. I need to hit this 250 to not reach that tree, and I'll do that as a way to get my get a bit of prep in, rather than trying to do anything else when I'm at the range. If I was trying to change my swing, my training would look completely different. So the yeah, nuance is yeah. what you're training for, as well as what you're trying to do. So if you were trying to make change to your, I don't know, downswing, you're currently quite upright. We're trying to get you into a shallower position. Yeah. Um, you know that you got your whole like ten thousand hours sort of you know approach. Like what what would you see in your professional opinion? Yeah. Like how to make effective change that's sustainable for yeah. the average golfer down the range. Yeah. On the 10,000 hours, that is the average number of hours it took someone to become an expert violinist, and that is the only thing that 10,000 hours is relevant for. Um, there's been an awful lot of writings which have expanded the concept of deliberate practice. The, the fundamental message is, like, like you said, engaging at training is important. And in, yeah. that, in that original study, violinists who became professional musicians spent 10,000 hours highly engaged in practice. In other sports like skeleton, for example, we do talent transfer where you can do it in a lot less hours. In golf, it actually takes an awful lot more than 10,000 hours. The 10,000 hour thing is a kind of interesting headline for what actually is a message of please engage when you're at training. But otherwise, it like doesn't count as hours at all. Basically. Oh, for okay. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, got it. But in terms of what I would do if I'm trying to, for example, shallow my downswing, is there's kind of understanding what is going to engage me with training. Like, as well because you're going to have to do a lot of it I would certainly hit um, probably a different club or a different target every single swing um, mm. there's absolutely no point in shelling balls because that nuance and that subtle variability in your golf swing is never going to you're never going to hit the same shot twice in a row unless you've 
bang one out of bounds when you're on the golf course. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it doesn't mean you can't be working on technical stuff when you're varying your practice a little bit. Personally, I would also... I was going to say, you know, I might hit the ball higher if I have a more shallow downswing. So I'd be doing something as simple as going to the driving range and trying to hit the ball higher, for example. Right. And then I might okay. check using video after a couple sessions whether that has actually shallowed my downswing. Yeah, 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 yeah. R rather than shallowing my downswing. Go on. Yeah, and you're trying to create like a, where you're saying about changing target stuff, you're trying yeah. to create like a cognitive stress in a yeah. way, like you, you're making that learning process slightly more intense, but yeah. to, to solidify it more. Whereas if you're just yeah. hitting ball after ball, it becomes very yeah. like a closed loop, right? It can be quite it can be quite disheartening as well, yeah. right? As, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you're up there and you're, yeah. you're trying to make those changes and the ball's going left, the ball's going right. Yeah. I, I suppose after 20 balls you probably give up right and, and just yeah. end up shelling balls yeah I think it's an important message mm. that the often if you're hitting the ball amazing in practice you're not getting better like if you went to the gym and you just lifted a weight that you could easily lift and you did a thousand reps and it felt really easy you'd know you're not getting stronger but mm. for some reason we do that in the driving range all the time where we're like oh I'm flashing mm. this is great you're not getting better if it's not difficult so mm -hmm. you've got to be able to engage and if you want to go to the driving range and chill out and have fun that's a completely different message this is if you do want to get better you've got to engage and make it hard and how you do that might be up to personal preference personally I would be focusing on something more like what's my ball fight look like than what does my downswing look like but as a result my downswing would change but that's just because I'd be more interested in where the ball's going for example but if it's spraying everywhere it's a good sign for me like one of the first things I do when I work with coaches like mentoring and stuff is we talk about the difference between what train what performance looks like in practice and what learning looks like and if you're performing amazing in practice you might be like Lewis is an amazing coach I'm going to go back but you're probably not getting better at golf mm. um, so it needs to be challenging and one thing that we all fall into the trap of is when I'm teaching in lectures or if I'm coaching or whatever oh, I love it when people are doing well in training but actually that should be alarm bells Mm. unless I'm preparing Not, rather than trying to get better I mean obviously there's going to be some diamonds in the rough right they're going to have some glimmers of hope throughout that practice yeah. session it's yeah, not all absolutely. going to be awful but um, yeah. yeah I get that there's going to be some pain along the way but it's it's no pain no game as, as I could cheesily say it yeah and I think as long as you have spoken to your players or you're, you understand yourself like Scott's trying to change something right now I played golf, I got. I just randomly paired up when I was playing the other day with a colleague uh, with some other guys and this, he was like, oh god, I've been getting lessons all summer and I'm just getting, I'm just like not playing well at all and I was like, well yeah, obviously, and he was like, what? And I was like, well you're changing something, you're going to be you're going to be getting worse until you get better, you know, if you're trying to change a swing, yeah. you've got to be thinking in, in years rather than weeks, mm -hmm. if, if you've been playing golf for a long time and he was like, oh, that, and he, like, you know, it makes you feel better, one, because you understand the process, but two, it means you understand how much you got to commit if you're actually going to change something, like, in terms of yeah. from an automatic movement to something else. Yeah, I'm, I'm three, I'm three years in now with Lewis, and I've just hit my yeah. two best rounds in about four yeah. weeks ago, so it's, it's a long, long process, um, and you've got to be committed to it. Yeah, and it's fine if you don't love, or love the process or want to do that, if you want to enjoy your golf and play golf fine but if you do want to get better it will be long term and you have to accept that you might have a few really bad days yeah well I, I tried to make a massive swing change about four years ago and I by making the change I could not hit a ball 
I was at the driving range trying to find the ball, couldn't find it. But I knew that it was part of that process of taking those steps back to then be able to find the ball again and then I'd be able to hit the ball better. I guess my question though too is, from kind of a coaching perspective, is if the coach has identified that some technical related aspect needs to change, are we? Are you kind of suggesting that what should be done in a way is trying to, for the coach to be thinking about how they can give that as an external cue for the person to make that change? Is that kind of the optimal route you're kind of proposing? Yeah, potentially. There's going to be individual preference. Loads. Of, some players love technique, like love thinking about technique. The focus of attention literature is one tool in your toolbox as a coach. It's kind of a classic mm. phrase that you might hear. But you might also learn about implicit and explicit instruction, where you might say something really explicitly or not. Or you might learn about um, constraints-led approaches where you're not talking about technique at all, but you're putting, if I'm coming from the outside, you put you put something in the way and it forces me to swing from the inside. There's a whole load of different tools. but. Generally, the literature suggests that an external focus might be beneficial, but the literature is mostly about beginners. So you have to kind of work with the nuance of your individual player that you're with. Personally, like for me, the only thing that matters about technique is getting the club face square impact as consistently as possible. But however, you're going to think about all the tools that you have for an individual to learn to do that. Um, I, I personally like can't handle thinking about where my hand position is, but I can absolutely handle thinking about the ball flight. But you know, you might. But you know, I'm a I'm a cricketer primarily, so it it, it might feel a bit different to me. Um, so you might be working with Scott, and actually, it works great for Scott to give him loads of instructions, and he likes to go away with his phone and and check those things, and it helps him engage with the motivation and engage with the process. So, it's a tool. It's worth knowing that ex mm. external focuses can be more efficient in making those movements less consciously controlled, because you're not thinking about what the movement is; you're thinking about the result. If you threw a ball to the sp another person in the room underarm, you wouldn't think about the technique. You'd think about where the ball's going to go. Yeah. Um, it's very unnatural for us to think about technique loads, and it makes our movements less efficient. Um, but you might need to have one thing to think about, which might be something that you can handle. But mm. it's a tool for you to kind of understand that it could be more beneficial, not necessarily. Thinking about knowing your individual that you're working with, it's all a, it's all a more complex picture than saying you must always focus on the first bit of ball flight. But you will notice lots of great players suggesting that you aim at something that's external from your body just a few metres in front of you. Mm -hmm. And how, how does this... Is there any thoughts from your your perspective around how this changes depending upon the level of golfer? Does, does it, do you think it has the same... The requirement is the same or the benefit's the same? Yeah, really good question. Lots of these things will change quite a lot depending on how good your player is um, and how experienced they are like a kind of technical instruction to a complete beginner is is not a great idea um, but they might need a little bit more support and you know just how to hold a club for example but otherwise they might not be able to hit the ball at all um, so again you have other tools about feedback and instruction that you might use where you might give them lots and lots of instruction about how to build their stance for example but building your stance isn't actually the same as moving so having loads of instruction internal focus on how you build your stance before you even swing the club I don't think is necessarily a bad idea because it's not part of the movement. You, you're there, and then you then you can do the movement pretty automatically still. Um, but again, like think about the individual. Do you need to be just giving them instruction in order to keep them engaged with golf? 
if it's a if it's a young person, I would be giving them a bunch of targets, things to hit over, that kind of stuff. Much less instruction. Then you might get someone who is a got who's developed a good awareness. One thing you'll have with beginners is they'll have absolutely no idea where their hands or shoulders or wrists are during a golf swing. I'm sure mm-hmm. Lewis has experienced that. So giving them an instruction to shallow their hands out during the downswing means literally nothing to them. But telling them to try and hit the ball a bit higher, they'll probably start shallowing their hands out anyway. Very good point. Very good point. And then also, just to add on to that, also thinking about because I know you've obviously only this we've measured 116 yard shots so for yeah. me you're talking about a 50 degree wedge yeah this this kind of idea and process you think applies across the range of distances and other aspects of the game yeah good good humble brag as well in there Dan um, yeah thank you, thank you. I was um, gonna dig it I was gonna <laughs> um, there's a lot of literature in putting like putting is used in all types of motor learning research just because it's easy like there's loads of stuff in expectancies as well like the size of the hole has a good influence according to some of the literature on how well you're going to learn because you feel like you're getting more or less success um so there's loads of stuff in putting but it, it probably is going to extrapolate eventually you've got you're still trying to hit the ball at a target it's easier to measure with putting as well but at the end of the day you are hitting the ball with a tool at a target so there is um, a good amount of overlap in lots of these different kinds of tasks um, so I'd say yes but as for example if you're hitting driver focusing on the target might be actually just physically difficult to do so mm. you might keep a consistent external focus of that for example bit of grass a yard in front of the ball for every full swing shot you hit but you might have sense. a different cue or a different focus depending like for me hitting it I've always struggled from like 20 to 80 yards as someone who doesn't play much golf and played a lot of cricket I've always been pretty good at hitting the ball in my long game and I'm fine at putting but the, my short game is something I've never really learned how to do so I have a particular like uh, ball striking focus where I'm just trying to get a bit of compression when I hit a pitch Whereas with a long iron, I might just pick a, a different type of focus, maybe a piece of grass in front that I want the ball fly to start over or something like that. So mm. it, it will extrapolate, but you might have different nuances depending on what you're working on and also what your strengths are and what element of the game it is. Yeah, well, one thing that's just really f- making me reflect now is thinking about well, what do I do when I actually play golf and what do I do when I go to the range? and. It is making me think of, well, I'm on the putting green on an actual course. If I'm looking for my line, I'm not worried about what I'm doing with my arms. I'm choosing a point on the green and I'm hitting to that point. Mm-hmm. Same thing when I'm on the tee. I'm either looking for a target in the middle of the fairway or if I'm trying to hit it, land it on the front portion of the green. I'm thinking about all these external cues. But then for some reason, like you've identified, is when I then go to the range and I try and hit balls, I would be focus more on the what I'm doing internally if I'm using my phone and I'm starting to analyze it and it's just it's a weird reflection to think of how that changes depending upon the scenario and actually going forwards when I go to the range I'm going to try and work on the external focus rather than the internal now because actually that's also more consistent with what I do on the golf course so it's yeah. great to reflect on that good and if you're preparing for, to play or you're just trying to like do some maintenance or something I think that's a great idea is just to try and reflect as much as you can what's going to happen on the course in practice it might change then if you're trying to work on something else or you try and change your swing again then you might need to have a little look at 
a position that you're trying to get into. But I think understanding there's a lot of nuance to it is definitely important. Yeah, it's definitely worth having a blend of both types of training. Um, I feel so. Well, during during the season as well. Yeah, yeah. During the season, you're probably going to prioritise. Obviously, the more you know. Um, for example, you can go down to the golf club where we are, and you can play a virtual golf course or play games. So that for me would be better yeah. during the season for your practice sessions than it would be to get there and get in a really techie and thinking, okay, my I need more flexion in my wrist and etc. You know, or whatever. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, Trackman ranges. I'm assuming it's a Trackman range or one or yeah. a type of are an yeah, amazing tool for that kind of preparation practice during the season practice but even if you are trying to change your technique or something you're going to transfer it back out onto the golf course quicker if you're still able to learn it in a fashion where you might hit a driver than a 9-9 if that's what you're going to be doing um, but you, it doesn't mean you can't still work on technical element you don't have to just hit 7-9s to change your swing mm-hmm. brilliant well I think that has been rounded off nicely. Any other questions from you two? No, all good at the moment. I've just got a lot to think. I've got a lot to think of at the next driving range session. That's it. Man. My mind's my mind's boggled about how now I practice. That, that's all I'm going to say. And I think a lot of psychologists would say awareness is the first step. Like actually now saying, well, what do I actually do? If if everyone goes away from listening to this and just thinks about what they actually do, that's a great place to start. And it might be that everything we talked about doesn't suit you. Or it might, or it might work great for you, Scott. And then you have to let us know. <laughs> I, 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 I think off the basis of this, I, I think I probably do video myself a bit too much on my range sessions, to be honest, and don't focus then on the outcome and trying to transfer that to the golf course immediately. It, it isn't working, um, and and so maybe I just need to rein it in a little at the range, the video sessions, and focus more on the outcome. Yeah, I think for people like for like Lewis as well, like lots of um, golf coaching happens. You know when your player's not there, so using the platform like you two have got, where you can check in on each other. But I think it's important to say what to practice. But then, I'm sure Lewis does this for Scott. How to practice it? Oh yeah. You know, yeah. you get you might give you a few drills and stuff. But think about can I help my players with how they're going to practice, not also what they're going to practice. And I think he sends me he sends me drills all the time. I love it. <laughs> That's great. And I think being able to keep in touch with that and say right, we're working on this. Here's a bunch of different ways that you might try and practice it. Um, yeah. is a really good thing that Lewis is doing with you there. Yeah, and what's, what's your thoughts on Lewis from obviously listening to all this? How does that kind of impact the way you coach in a way? Um, I feel like I'm reading off the same sort of hymn sheet. I am surprised about the results from obviously the study. Um, obviously, there's a lot of factors where, you know, some of those people, they weren't told to jump on a specific app. They weren't shown how to use it. So, I, you know, I get that kind of you know that difference there um i've actually been transitioning recently trying to push like i said that whole game like training thing so i've been trying to push people into that um, I'm, I'm sort of pushing down the route of creating practice plans for people that that are targeted towards their goals and and are more on course mindset based because i know that we can't get on the course all the time so yeah no i agree with what a lot, a lot of what's been said, and um, it's definitely given me, you know, thoughts to go and think. I've made, I've, I've been making notes as well, and still in the uh, the nuggets you've been dropping, Ollie. So it's uh, great. Great, <laughs> nice. One little spanner in the works to um, to finish is the the guys who got better 
or worse during our study over a month. If we measured them after three months, it might have been the other way around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it might have been that they were they're, they're making their training more challenging. They were getting a little bit worse during practice, and then once they got out the other side, they might have got better. Yeah, a few more months to, to bed in the swing thoughts, yeah. and, and and then it gets. It's better, one of the yeah. challenges in the literature that will inform like Lewis's PGA qualification and stuff. Is like it's incredibly expensive and difficult to do a study that measures loads of golfers over a number of months or years. So you have to take the nuance from the findings and say, right, well, I know pretty confident video analysis is going to make me more internally focused. We know that's probably not a great thing. And we did see them get a bit worse, but we don't know what happened to them the month after or the month after that and whether they transitioned back or whatever. So you have to be able to take the research with the practicalities and the nuance of it as well, which is one of the reasons, like I said at the beginning, something like this is so useful to talk about. Yeah, brilliant. Is, is that something that you're going to look to, to do in the future? Yeah. Are you looking to do more research in that? Yeah, potentially. It's just really hard to get that you know, a decent number of people to engage with something like that for a long period of time. But people like Lewis have got loads of people on his app and work with people over a period can be collecting data for themselves and have a look at these things. You know, like it would be doing you can do it internally as well as um, you know, doing it as a scientific paper, but keep an eye on these things that you're learning yourselves as coaches and players as well. I was going to ask you, Ollie, like, if, if there was one thing you could have uh, changed or even added to the study, um, I feel I feel like you've just answered it about the, incre the increase in time, but yeah. if, was there anything else that you would have maybe done differently or, or, yeah, or added on? Yeah, the, the increase in time is something that you'd basically want to add to almost anything you do, but then it just comes with practicalities and you get massive attrition from participation. So you have to do it in a time where people are going to engage properly. Um, I would add also some more stats onto the Encore stuff. When we did this, like there wasn't as many tools as there are now, even a few years ago, on getting people just to be able to measure it themselves on, on an app or on a phone. Because we wanted competition scores, lots of people would did not want to add anything to their routine where they would have yeah. to record their shots and stuff. But that's something I would have liked. So something like ShotScope now, where you get your tagged trackers on your clubs, mm -hmm. where we could just extract the data from that, I would have added that and a little bit more long-term stuff um, as well. But we quite deliberately did it where it was people who didn't know what they were doing. We just gave them a phone to see what happens. Um, and I think that's yeah, a good takeaway. And would you have got like them hitting more than one shot, i.e. in the test? Like you've got the 116-yard yeah. flag, you're going to go and do a... You know more that that they would then go and reflect on obviously those stats on the course. Yeah, absolutely, and I'd love to have got all of their stats pre-test as well, and all, a lot more information and lots of research that you read in this kind of area is going to be constrained by practicalities such as time and money. Um, yeah. And you know, Beth did this as a master's project where she has a year to do the research, and it needs to be finished by then. And she went off, got another job. There's lots of different elements where. If I do, if I'm doing medical research, someone will give me a million pounds to run the perfect study. If mm. I'm doing an investigation on how we use our phones when we play golf, that's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, um, so got there's... totally. <laughs> I'm a money constraint. Yeah, it's all good. Yeah, yeah, cool. Thank you. Way the world works in some ways, isn't it? Yeah. Brill. <laughs> so. The next part of the podcast really is just quickly a quick fire round for you, Ollie. This yep. is for me really to understand a little bit about you as a golfer, mm -hmm. see if we would match on the golf course. <laughs> um, so we will see how you answer these. So yep. first things first, in the context here, we're talking about social golf, okay? Playing with your friends. Yeah. Quick fire answer. You can give a little bit of context if you want to afterwards, but that's down to you. Sure. Guinea 
versus no gimmies. Gimmies. Right, okay, there we go. Good to know. Uh, mulligans versus no mulligans. No mulligans. Good man, I like that a lot. My mum, though, she loves a mulligan. <laughs> Any opportunity she can find, she will take a mulligan. Um, brilliant. Next one, then. Your approach, do you play mind games or are you a good sportsman? Ah, uh, good sportsman, 100%. Good stuff. Not the same as me, I love playing uh, I mean, Phil, game who game. I wrote that paper with, we take we used to play a lot of golf together and uh, the uh, approaches were opposite. Two psychologists. I tend to just do what, do my own thing and get on with the game and uh, he does the opposite. There's, there's your next study. Yeah, love that. <laughs> <laughs> and then also, mm-hmm. beers on the course or athlete mindset? Beers on the course. Very context dependent though. <laughs> cool. Fair play. And then finally, the last quick fire question is linked to kind of our roles, me uh, in the biomechanics kind of realm, you're in the motor learning psychology realm. From what is more beneficial for golf, mm-hmm. psychology and motor learning, or biomechanics? Don't think you can have one without the other, but I'm going psychology. You've got to back yourself, haven't you? (laughs) (laughs) Great stuff. All right, then. So thank you, Ollie, for joining us today. It was really appreciated, really insightful stuff. And I think we've got some really great reflections after that today. So thanks for coming on. Cool. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. And good luck to uh, Lewis and Scott on their journey moving forward. Thank you very much. Thanks, Ollie. Much appreciated. No worries. Bro, so you've also, Ollie, you've got three other papers, I believe, within golf. Um, One's around laterality. Now, I don't really understand that term, but I think my right in saying it's hand grip the other way around. Left and right handed. Basically, lots of people who are left handed play golf with right handed clubs and a right handed stance, and it looks like there might be an advantage to that. Cool. So that'll be great to talk to you about that potentially in the future. Um, 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 Go on. Go for it. I was just going to say. uh, well, the one that's most relevant to this would be to read about um, Think Aloud we did during putting and green reading and what pros think about when they're actually on the golf course. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah, I was going to come us out there. And that's great. And then the next one you had was also about quiet eye as well. Yeah, which is uh, another kind of broad term. It's about um, the kind of final fixations you make before a movement. So it's been re- it's been researched all over the place, like surgery, other types of movements as well. But the longer... The, the general literature says the longer that final fixation on the golf ball before you take your swing, the more accurate your outcome is going to be. Um, Brilliant. So, it's quite that's quite a broad summary. But yeah, everything that I write, I make available for free on my ResearchGate website. Um, so you just type in Oliver Runswick ResearchGate and the non-copyrighted, um, not paywalled by scientific journal versions will be on there for you. Perfect. Well, it'll be great to have you back at some point to talk about some of those as well. Cool, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, have you got any uh, place that our listeners could kind of find you on social media? Have you got any plugs to throw in there? Yeah, at Oliver Runswick on Twitter. While, uh, while we seem to still be existing, so we'll move forward with that. And then just uh, on LinkedIn as well, they're the only social media platforms uh, that I use. But I also have a website, runswickperformance.com, um, which you can read summaries of the kind of research that I'm doing uh, and also find links to my papers and stuff there amazing thanks well scott also thanks for joining us today again great to get the viewpoint from a amateur golfer yourself it was great to get some of those questions in so thank you for having us again have you got some social media to plug in as well 
I mean, just just the usual LinkedIn, Scott Hanley uh, on LinkedIn, and I'm sure nobody wants to see my, my Instagram posts of my dog, my golf swing, or my family. So I'll, I'll leave it there. So it should be fine. Great stuff. And then obviously, finally, thank you for my co-host, uh, Lewis. Thanks for being on, mate. Pleasure. No worries. No worries at all. Um, and yeah, again, where we find you? Um, you can find me on Instagram. It's um, Lewis Downey Golf Pro, and that's it. Nice and simple. L O U I S just to be difficult uh, by the way great stuff well in the next episode of the golf science podcast we'll be speaking to george wardle snc coach and phd candidate at the university of waikato now i had to check that pronunciation of that before i said that um but in that one we're going to be focusing on the effects of super speed sticks on golfing performance now i'm sure you've all heard of those sticks before um so that'll be quite an interesting episode so that's all from the golf science podcast today in episode one if you want to learn more about the science of golf visit my website sciencecaddy.com where you'll find golf science articles videos and online webinars so until next time i've been your host daniel thompson your caddy for all things golf science <laughs>